it's always nice when the Holy Spirit works things out <clears throat> without consulting me about the topic today. This last song we sang is the perfect song to introduce what we're going to talk about today. So thank you for that. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. All right, here we go. All right, let's uh, jump right in and read the first couple of verses of this passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In the last several weeks, we've been learning how to walk the walk, walk in a manner that pleases to God. Today, we're going to focus on standing firm when Satan comes to attack us. Now note, right here in the first verse, we're not asked to engage in this battle on our own. We have no ability to fight Satan on our own. If we're to be successful, we must come at this battle in, the strength, in his strength and his might. The uh, description of the battle that Paul gives in verse 12 is rather ominous. We have no ca capability of winning that spiritual battle on our own. The battle is not against flesh and blood. But that's where we live day by day. Rather, Paul tells us the battle is against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness, and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. How are we to succeed in such a battle? Well, I think Paul gives us three things that will help us greatly in this. And one is that we must have the proper perspective on the battle. Secondly, we must have the proper provision to go into battle. And then finally, we must appropriate the power of prayer to stay in the battle. So let's look at that first one. Have the proper perspective. <clears throat> it may have been in an effort to depict the battle between uh, the devil and us, that the German painter Friedrich Retsch painted a painting which he called Die Schachspieler, which means the chess players. And uh, that painting uh, was available to see for many years. It hung in the Louvre for a while, but it's now in private hands. In the painting, the devil is pictured as arrogant and confident. Looks like he has the other upper hand whereas the man looks discouraged and defeated. Now, the premise behind the painting is this, that the man is out of moves. That is, he is in checkmate. And that's what the, the painting has come to be known by people. It's come to be known as checkmate. And second premise is that the games holds the man's fate in balance. That is, if Satan wins... He loses his soul to Satan. 
Now, the story goes that uh, at one time there was a chess grandmaster who was in the uh, museum, and he saw this painting, and he stopped and he looked at it. He looked at it for a long time, and finally he realized that the man's position was not hopeless. The man had moves to make, and if he made the right moves, then he could actually win the game. Now, the discovery of the grand chess master only confirms what we already know. And that is, the battle may be difficult, and it may look at times like we're not doing well, but the outcome is not uncertain because the victory has been won by Christ on the cross. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So the painting does not really describe the spiritual battle we're in at all. However, I believe that Satan would be very content if we thought this painting described our battle. Number one, Satan doesn't look too menacing in this picture. And number two, we might get the mistaken idea that we can take him on face to face. But let's not forget who Satan really is. He is our enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, <clears throat> Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan is a destroyer. Peter used the picture of a hungry lion to depict Satan. What chance of survival would we have going up face to face with a roaring lion? It would not be a fair fight and it would be over quickly. A year ago, Sue and I were in Evansville, Indiana to house sit, cat sit, and um, pool sit while our son and his family were visiting families out east. When we arrived, we were informed that Lily, one of their two cats, had a UTI, and Lily would require daily oral administration of a tablet. Um, that didn't shake us up too bad because we'd had to do that for another cat that they had in the past. And so after watching a couple of YouTubes, next day came and uh, <clears throat> it was time to give Lily her first medication. We had her on the table wrapped up in a, in a uh, towel so she couldn't grab us. And as I began to pry her mouth open, she began to hiss and growl. But we just proceeded anyway because we had to get it done. And out of the blue, in an instant, Tiger, their other cat, jumped on the table, jumped on my arm, and Sue and I soon forgot what it was we were there to do. <laughs> uh, Lily escaped, uh, but we got her later and we got her taken care of when uh, Tiger was put behind a closed door. Now, Lily and Tiger have been together ever since they were adopted by Peter and Jen. They're not brothers and sisters, but they behave like it. And apparently, Tiger thought it was his duty to protect Lily. Tiger is 16 pounds of muscle, 
And he uh, came with stealth, he came with speed, and he came with power. Okay? Imagine what a male tiger would do. Male tiger, excuse me, male lion, rather. Uh, male lions weigh somewhere between 350 and 550 pounds. How would you like to meet one of those? It would indeed be frightening. Well, that's who Peter compares Satan to, is a roaring lion who seeks to destroy and tear us apart. Satan's also described as a deceiver. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan is the great deceiver, and he would deceive all were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit. Satan is powerful. Jude 9 says, Mike, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but, rather, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Michael is the archangel of the Lord, the most powerful angel of the Lord. But yet, in facing Satan, he did not dare pronounce his own words against Satan. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. Satan is a powerful destroyer. He's a murderer and a liar. John 8:44. You're of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan cannot be trusted in anything. He's a great accuser. Revelation 12.10, the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. There is no let up in his efforts to destroy us. Now Paul states that the real battle is taking place in the heavenly places. We don't live in that realm. So how is it that we become engaged in that battle? Now, Scripture does not give us a great deal of insight as to what takes place in the heavenly places. That is the invisible realm. The invisible realm. The real but invisible realm. But I think we do get a brief look if we look at the life of Job. And uh, as we look at that, uh, Satan had been roaming the earth back and forth and he'd come into the presence of God. And in Job 1... Beginning at verse 8, we read, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has he will surely curse you face to face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put your hand on him. So Satan departs to ruin 
Job's life. To do that, Satan used the Sabaeans to come and slay his servants and to kill his donkeys and oxen, or to take his donkeys and oxen. He brought fire from heaven to destroy his sheep. He used the Chaldeans to slay his servants and take his camels. He used a great wind to kill his sons and daughters all in one day. Now, Job did not know, at least I believe he did not know that he was in a spiritual battle. Job just thought he was having the worst day of his life. Okay? But Job did not curse God because Satan really doesn't know what's going on in our hearts and minds. But Satan wasn't discouraged by that loss. So we read in chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered and said to the Lord, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a, has, that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you face to face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan departs from God, and he smites Job with boils from head to toe. And Job was absolutely in pain and miserable. Now, you would expect that in a time like this, friends and family would come to your aid. But Job got no such help. In fact, his wife encouraged him to curse God and die. His three good friends came and sat with him for a week and wept with him because they noticed that Job was in great pain. And when it was finally time to speak up, Eliphaz concluded that Job had lost all his possessions because there was iniquity in his life. But God had said Job was blameless and upright. Bildad concluded that the current status of Job was due to his lack of integrity. But God had just pronounced that Job had maintained his integrity. Zophar concluded that <clears throat> Job's troubles were due to sin. Again, God had pronounced him blameless and upright. Finally, Job kind of gets tired of them, and uh, Job uh, resorts to his southern roots. And he says, sorry comforters are you all. All right, all right so you didn't get it. Well, that's all right. <laughs> all right. Um, anyway, and then later... God finally pronounces his anger on his friends because they had not spoken the truth of him, as he said, as Job has. Now, the spiritual battle that Job was in was carried out by the Bereans, the Chaldeans, fire from heaven, a great wind, his wife and his friends. Satan attacks us and uses all means available to him, even people we might expect to come to our aid, to carry out his plan to attack and destroy us. He wills to destroy us, to destroy our families, and to destroy our church. How can we oppose such 
a strong opponent. Well, the Bible tells us, or Paul tells us, that we must have the proper provision in order to do this. And in verse 13 of chapter 6, he says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. <clears throat> For us to have success, we must put on the whole armor of God. A soldier is not ready for battle until he is fully armed and fully protected. In verse 14, Paul continues. He says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth or put on the belt of truth. Well, why, why does Paul start with the belt of truth? Well, the belt of a Roman soldier's armor was used to hold his sword. It was also used to shore up the long robes that they wore back then so that those robes would be out of the way and they could move quickly and easily. And at the same time, it would also free their hands and arms for doing battle. The belt of the Roman soldier was also used to hold other parts of the armor together. It was the central piece of the armor of the Roman soldier. Truth is the central piece of our armor that's available to fight Satan. Today, truth is under attack in our society. As a society, we have lost or are rapidly losing our moral compass and are quickly forgetting how, what is right and what is wrong. But that's not really a new thing. <clears throat> that's been with us all through the ages. When Peter was before Pilate in John um, 18, 37 and 38, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king, for this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? He wasn't interested in the truth, just like many today are not interested in the truth. Accepting the, uh, But Jesus has an answer to that. Jesus said to him, now this is speaking to Thomas and the disciples, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Accepting that, the truth that Jesus is God's Son and believing that he died for our sins will set us free from sin. And it gets us into the family of God so that we can put on that armor. In John 17, 17, says, Your word is truth. And John 8, 32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just like the Roman 
soldier's belt set him free to easily move around and fight the battle. Obedience to the truth of God's word sets us free from sin. We must know the truth in order to discern what is false and what is evil. The belt of truth is indeed a first good item to put on in our fight against evil. Stand firm, therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of the Roman soldier covered him from neck down to the waist, both front and back, and shielded all the vital organs. The breastplate of <coughs> righteousness, or the breastplate, symbolizes our righteousness in Christ. Our standing before God is provided by the finished work of, God, of Christ on the cross. As we wrap ourselves in that righteousness, our position is eternally secure. We have a right standing before God because when God looks at us, he sees us in Christ. When Satan attacks, our relationship to God is not in danger because it is in Christ. In Ephesians, excuse me, uh, in, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I got that one out of order, but that's okay. It's still good. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 he um, states, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We can put that on because of what he did on the cross. But Paul in Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This is a daily task that we do this. As we walk in obedience to his word, we become a little bit more Christ-like every day. This is the practical righteousness that we must embrace in our, in our battle against Satan. Failing to do so makes it easier for Satan to attack us. Stand firm, therefore, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers wore hobnailed shoes so that they could dig into the dirt and stand fast when being attacked and when attacking. Paul states that God has shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When Satan attacks, we can remain confident and we can be at peace even in the battle. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Well, when are we at most danger in having our feet slip out from under us? Various situations. But uh, Asaph in Psalm 73 uh, said the following. There we go. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, and my steps had almost slipped. And what was the reason for that? Well, in verse 3 he says, For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph looked around and he saw the wicked were prospering. And apparently no 
consequences were coming their way. And he began to get just a little bit envious until we get down to verses 16 to 18 where it says, It was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Asaph has taken his eyes off of God. And as he did, he was no longer at peace. He began to get a little envious of the wicked. But you see, the wicked do not have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so they have no ability to stand. But God provides us with that so that we indeed can stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, taking up the shield of faith. The Roman shield was about two by four feet. It was made of wood clad in heavy leather. And as the soldier would hold that in front of him, it would protect him from the swords, spears, fiery darts that the enemy might fire against them. Another feature of this sword was that he could interlock with other swords. And so what this did was this provided the Romans a means of building a solid wall of protection as they were advancing against the enemy. Likewise, our shield of faith protects us from the fiery darts that Satan sends our way. Now, this faith we're talking about here is not our saving faith, but it's our day-to-day living faith. This faith causes us to look at our circumstances in confidence, knowing that God will safely walk us through them. Now, even as the Roman soldier did not act alone, but acted in concert with his fellow soldiers, and they were more effective that way, so are we. We're more effective in, in uh, resisting the attacks of Satan if we come together with fellow believers. Stand firm, therefore, and having taken the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet protects the brain, the control center of any individual. Our salvation allows us to protect our mind against the attacks of Satan. Satan is the great deceiver, as we've already seen, and he often begins by sowing seeds of doubt, questioning our understanding of the word. Has God really said? Have you heard that one before? Promising things that on the surface look harmless. He will often offer quick gain in exchange for a hasty decision. He will question the reality and security of our salvation. Well, how do we combat Satan when he comes at us in this, those ways and many, many others? Well, we must have the mind of Christ. There's a hymn That goes by that title. I'd like to read the first two verses. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour. So that all may see I triumph only 
through his power. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If our thoughts are fixed on God, it is more difficult for Satan to attack us. James says, Submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee you in James 4, 7. As we, sub as we submit to God, he will give us the strength to resist the devil. Stand firm, therefore, having taken the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Roman soldier's primary weapon was his sword. God's word is our primary sword in fighting off Satan. Jesus drove away Satan in the desert when he quoted scripture to Satan. As he quoted scripture, he completely disarmed Satan, and Satan fled in defeat. Now, if Jesus used scripture to fight off the attacks of Satan, shouldn't we do also? Well, for us to do that, that means we must have it. We must have it with us. Well, in this day of smartphones, that's pretty easy. Most of us probably have a copy of the Bible on your smartphone. That's great. But we don't always have time to take it out, turn it on, find the place where we need to go. So it's imperative that if we're going to take on Satan, we're going to have to have his word hidden in our hearts. We're going to have to memorize it. The easiest time to memorize is when we're young. So it's not impossible when we get older, but it's more difficult. So parents, I would encourage you, get your children into a scripture memory program. It is so important. From experience, I can tell you, when you grow older, you will still remember those verses. I was reminded of this as I was preparing for this, that... Um, I still know John 3.16 in Danish. I learned that as a kid. And I haven't lived in a Danish society now for over 60 years. Memorize scripture so that you have it available. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word in our heart and minds protects us from Satan's attacks. In Verse 105 of that same psalm, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word always points us in the right direction. Have the word within you. Now, it is possible for us to have the right perspective on who we're dealing with and to have the right provision and still not be effective in fighting off Satan. To do that, we must appropriate the power of prayer. Prayer is the source of energy for our spiritual battle. Let's read on in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth 
to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So how do we appropriate the power of prayer? Well, Paul tells us in this passage that uh, we're to pray at all times. Pray at all times. Our prayers should be a continual conversation with God throughout the day. There's nothing that we can't bring to God and to talk to him about. And communication with God should be just as natural to us as those that we are around and talk with on a day-by-day -day basis. He is always near. He's always present. Pray at all times. Pray in the Spirit, Paul tells us. We don't always know how to pray or what to pray for, but God promises us that the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So as we approach prayer, let's be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit as we pray, because we know that we pray, and when we pray as the Spirit leads us, we will be seeking the will of God. Paul tells us to pray with all prayer. Okay, there's more than one type of prayer, and to remind us of this, uh, this little acronym might be helpful to you. Um, that is, the components of prayer should include adoration. There should be a time in our prayers where we adore and we worship God for who we, he really is. It should be a time of confession. He's promised that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There should be a time of thanksgiving. Thank God for what he's done in the past. Thank God for what he's doing right now. And thank God for what he will do in the future. And then finally, we should bring our supplications, our needs to the Lord. Pray with all power. We're to pray with perseverance. Now, our prayer times shouldn't be short. And they shouldn't be infrequent. Rather, we should continue to bring our prayers to the Lord until he answers. And once he answers, then we should implement them with great speed so that we can please him day by day. We're to pray for all the saints. It's easy to remember what it is I need, okay? But I think each of us should have a list of the needs of friends and acquaintances so that we can pray for them also. For that, you might want to use a prayer list. It can take whatever form you want it to take, but that certainly is a helpful aid. Have you ever been in a discussion with somebody and they give you a situation that they're dealing with in, in their life at the time, and you say very quickly, I'll pray for you for that. And then later on be reminded that you forgot. I have, it's a bad feeling, it's a bad thing. We promised that we would pray. Putting that person on your prayer list is going to make it much easier to remember to pray for others 
needs. We're to pray for boldness and effectiveness in sharing the gospel. The Apostle Paul himself asked the Ephesians to do that. He said, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Apparently, you know, it seems like when you read the life of Paul, this is a bold individual. But Paul asked that he would have that boldness. So when we pray, we're to pray that we may have the words that we need to say when, to, when presenting the gospel to somebody. We should pray that our presentation of the gospel would be clear. We should pray that we would, with boldness, share the gospel. Take those opportunities that God gives us. Prayer is the energy for our spiritual battle. Now, the task of battling Satan is not easy. It's not easy. To be successful, we must remember that we cannot do it in our own power. It's the Lord's battle. We need to come along, utilize what he has given us. To be successful, <clears throat> we must remember who our adversary is and not underestimate his power and not trivialize him. Because he is not trivial, trivial at all. He is a powerful, strong enemy that seeks to devour us. We must use the provisions that God has given us to fend off the attacks of Satan. And then finally, we must appropriate his power in prayer. As we go today, let's remember the battle is already won. But... Let's be faithful this week in using the tools that he has given us to fight off Satan so that we can win those individual skirmishes that come our way. So as you go, have a good day and a good week and fight Satan, not on his terms, but on God's terms. You are dismissed. <laughs>